This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. On this day in 1787, Captain Arthur Philip set sail from Portsmouth, England with a fleet of 11 ships. They were bound for a new penal colony in Australia. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Tim Johnson. Frequent ParCast listeners may recognize him from some of our originals, including Sports Criminals. Hello, everyone. Each week on Sports Criminals, my co-host Carter and I cover the biggest crimes in the history of the sports world. Crimes that cost athletes their careers, or worse, their lives. One of my favorite parts is diving into the lasting effect of crimes on athletes and the sports themselves. It's a fascinating show. Today, Tim's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of our story while I'll cover the narrative. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm excited to dive into the impact of a different sort of crime story today. Shall we get started? Absolutely. Now, let's go back to May 13th, 1787, just as the sun was beginning to rise over the city of Portsmouth. There was a chill about the air in the harbor. A bracing wind blew off the water as the sailors moved quickly to prepare their ships, all 11 of them. Today was long awaited, and it was essential that everything go off without a hitch. But getting out of Portsmouth's busy harbor wasn't the half of it. The journey ahead was sure to be arduous. In just a short while, the fleet would set sail for the great Southland of New Holland, the site of England's next penal colony. Captain Arthur Philip strode amongst the ships, overseeing the final preparations. Of the 11 ships under his command, a full six of them housed convicts, each sentenced to exile in Terra Australis. In all, there were close to a thousand criminals under his watch. Once they reached their final destination, he would need to put the convicts to work. But first, he had to see them safely across the oceans. For the most part, the convicts weren't violent offenders, so Captain Philip didn't expect much trouble along the way. Mostly, they were pickpockets and forgers, burglars and rioters. Still, they had broken the king's laws, and, Captain Philip thought, they deserved their punishment. In addition to the six convict transports, Captain Phillips' fleet was to be kept fed by three supply ships and escorted by two Royal Navy ships. Sailing aboard were a combination of officers, crew, marines, some brave settlers, and families of the convicted. In all, they pushed the number of souls under Captain Phillips' watch to over a thousand and rounded out the composition of the so-called First Fleet. Aboard the fleet's lead ship, 
Captain Philip reviewed the projected journey with his officers. After setting sail from Portsmouth, they would make for the island of Tenerife, the largest of the Canary Islands. From there, they'd head southwest for Rio de Janeiro. In Rio, they were to restock their supply ships and take on a large quantity of livestock. If they were to set up a colony in New Holland, they would require essentials to establish a foothold in the untamed land. Once they had everything they needed, they would head east towards South Africa. There, a quick stop in Cape Town would be their final port before the last push across the Indian Ocean. This route was designed to take advantage of the prevailing winds in the hopes that the journey would be as short as possible. Still, they were expecting to be at sea for the better part of a year. Best to get started. Captain Philip gave final orders to his officers, telling them to prepare to set sail. The call went out to pull up anchors, sails unfurled, and the first fleet began to steer out of the bay. On the shore, the few people who had gathered to watch began to wave. Some fluttered handkerchiefs at family members on the fleet's crew. Others bid farewell to relatives who were likely to never return. Still more cheered, happy to see the backs of the criminals who'd been banished to the other side of the world. Coming up, why England decided to establish a new penal colony and what happened to the first fleet. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On May 13, 1787, the first fleet set sail from England, bound for the as-yet-uncolonized land known as Terra Australis. My guest host, Tim, is going to take over from here to discuss the historical context behind the colonization of Australia and what happened to the convicts once they landed. Thanks, Vanessa. Up until the 1770s, England had enjoyed the benefits of a penal colony to the west across the Atlantic. But when the 13 colonies declared their independence and became the United States, the Crown was left scrambling for a new solution to England's crime problem. That is, the fact that the country's jails were full. When petty theft and rioting were punishable by imprisonment, prisons were liable to overcrowding. England's first creative solution to their problem was converting decommissioned ships into floating prison hulks. These hulks first saw use in 1776 and would remain a fixture of Britain's justice system for some 80 years. But floating fortresses full of lawbreakers were never going to be a lasting solution to the country's convict problem. A new penal colony would have to be established to take the place of the Americas. Luckily, in 1770, Captain James Cook navigated the eastern coast of a largely unexplored island south of Asia. Captain Cook claimed the land in the name of Great Britain. Of course, Australia's indigenous peoples had been living on the island for around 60,000 years prior to the arrival of any Europeans. 
But the presence of indigenous Australians mattered little to Captain Cook, and he declared the land terra nullius, or land belonging to no one. This, the Metropole decided, would be England's newest penal colony. When the first fleet set sail in 1787, the majority of convicts aboard had been given two choices, serve their sentences in exile or death by hanging. But of course, there was no guarantee they'd lived through the trip across the ocean, even if they did choose exile. The journey lasted some 250 days, and by the time the first fleet sailed into Botany Bay in January 1788, 48 people had died along the way. Still, the ship's trials were not quite over yet. Botany Bay was deemed unacceptable for colonization by Captain Arthur Phillip. The soil wasn't suitable for growing crops, and the fresh water supply was limited. So, on January 26th, he sailed the fleet of ships north to another natural harbor not far from Botany. The water was much deeper, and the land more suited for 18th century living. Captain Phillip decided to name the harbor after the British Home Secretary. Lord Sydney. To this day, January 26th is celebrated as Australia Day. But that may change. In recent years, there has been significant push for the date of this holiday to be changed. For many indigenous Australians, the date commemorates an invasion of their homeland and the beginning of centuries of violence, neglect, and racism at the hands of European settlers. And Australia's indigenous population weren't the only ones who suffered in the years following the landing of the first fleet. The transported convicts faced harsh conditions and strict punishment in their new home. They were used as free labor to build Australia from the ground up. Around 15% of these convicts were women. They were largely forced to work as domestic servants for the duration of their sentences. Once those sentences were up, many of them sought marriage to free settlers. They were eager to make the best of their situation in the strange new country, given that they were unable to afford passage back home to England. There was little need for new prisons to be built on the colony. Australia's landscape was so wild and unforgiving that any runaways who fled their forced labor faced almost certain death. As the years went on and more settlers arrived to try their luck in the colony, convicts were given bright, humiliating uniforms to set them apart from free people. If prisoners were deemed lazy or unruly, they were punished with brutal floggings. Particularly disobedient convicts were sent to infamously brutal settlements in places like Port Arthur on the island of Tasmania. There, the cat of nine tails was used liberally. This vicious whip featured nine ropes or leather thongs, each with knots tied at intervals to ensure maximum damage to a victim's back. Some cat-o'-nine-tails used lead weights in place of knots. In all, it's estimated that some 162,000 convicts were transported from England to the penal colony in New Holland. But the burgeoning nation wouldn't stay a glorified jail forever. In the coming decades, the colony began to thrive in spite of the island's initially inhospitable nature. Eventually, New Holland was dropped as a name in favor of Australia. And in time, the colony became a thriving nation, throwing off the shackles of its past. Today, over 24 million people call Australia home, most of them because England's first fleet made a successful voyage to the other side of the world.
I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Tim Johnson for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Sports Criminals, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Joel Callen, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 